listening to this week's sermon from King's Community Church. For more information about our church, including meeting time and location, visit kingscommunity.ch. I love a good story. And I love it even more when a good story catches you with a hook from the beginning. So I want to share with you an opening line from one of my favorite stories. It says, There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. That might be my favorite opening line of any story. It comes in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. That's the fifth story in the Chronicles of Narnia, which is by C.S. Lewis. That one sentence tells us so much, but it hasn't really told us anything at all yet. If you've read the story, you've learned very quickly that Eustace Clarence Scrub is an obnoxious boy. He's selfish. He's mean. He doesn't treat other people kindly. He can't seem to get along with anyone. And yet somehow he makes his way into the wonderful land of Narnia with his cousins, Edmund and Lucy, who had been there several times before. And the story also tells us that Eustace stumbled into a cave in his journey into Narnia. And the cave is filled with a dragon's treasure, and he becomes enamored, just obsessed with this dragon's treasure. He eventually falls asleep on the treasure, and when he wakes up, he becomes the dragon because of his greedy, dragonish heart. One day, the great Aslan, this Christ-like lion, shows up and leads Eustace to a pool of water and tells him, undress and jump in. And Eustace realizes that when he means undress, he means to to take off his dragonish skin. So he starts gnawing and peeling at his skin, and he finds out that he's able to remove that outer coat, and he sheds it. And when he looks down at himself, he's surprised to find that there's just another dragon skin there waiting for him. So he scratches and claws at himself two, three more times, and nothing is happening. And then Aslan speaks. He says, you're going to have to let me go deeper. And here's how Eustace tells the story later. He says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling off the skin, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff off just as I thought I'd done myself three other times only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And then he caught hold of me and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And then I saw I'd become a boy again. The story of Eustace Clarence Scrub is one of redemption. His life is radically changed after encountering the great lion Aslan. We enjoy stories of redemption and transformation because we can relate to them. We we enjoy stories like those of Eustace because on some level, as we're reading, we think to ourselves that even if someone like him can be redeemed, maybe there's hope for someone like me to experience true life, to experience transformation and renewal too. While the Chronicles of Narnia are fun and insightful stories, those are fiction. 
Those stories aren't real. But there's a story much like that of Eustace Clarence Scrub that is very real in the Bible. It's about a man named Paul. Christians thought Paul was terrible because he treated them mean and he had authority to sentence them to prison and at times even death. And the Bible tells us stories of Paul where he would oversee the death of Christians who were actively sharing their faith. Now, the most religious people of the day didn't think Paul was that terrible at all. They thought that he was great. He was a religious leader that was considered one of the elite law keepers. He was a great defender of the religion. As far as being a good person went, he was really good at being good, doing all the right religious things. And that's why he was set on a mission to stop this Jesus-led movement that we now know as the church because the church was disrupting the religious way of life by saying that even really bad people could be saved by grace through faith in Jesus. In a tremendous turn of events, the Bible tells us the story of how this former enemy of the church became its greatest champion. Now, Paul's Hebrew or Jewish name was Saul, but Greek speakers who were prominent in the area where he lived would call him by the name of Paul. That's his Greek name. As we read this story, don't get hung up on the name change, but rather listen to how the book of Acts tells the story of conversion that this man, Paul, experiences. I'll read it for us in Acts chapter 9. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, that is the way of Jesus, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. They took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. That is a true story. Can you imagine what three days of sudden blindness felt like? To think back on the past few years and realize that everything he was opposing was all true? that there was a radical rabbi named Jesus that was leading and teaching and that he himself was the very God that just spoke to Paul, that, that Jesus, who was a friend of sinners, was the very righteous God of the Bible. He had nothing to do but think and meditate on who Jesus was for three days he must have realized that no one really could be restored to God apart from a relationship with Jesus. That good religious people could never be good enough. That sin, this disordered love and rebellion that we all experience against God was rooted so deeply in people's hearts that no amount of being a good person, no amount of being a kind person, no amount of being a churchy person was good enough to save them. They needed Jesus. Paul needed Jesus. 
And Jesus came to meet him. See, really good religious people like Paul had hated Jesus, so eventually it was them that had him killed because he needed to be stopped. But they couldn't stop Jesus. The righteous wrath of God over our sin, all the sins of humanity throughout all of history, was laid on Jesus at the cross. And it was a horrible and bloody and tragic death that was usually reserved for criminals. Yet that's the death of the Savior. That death was a tremendous loss for his followers, and it seemed like a tremendous win for his opposers. Yet three days after Jesus gave his life on the cross as a ransom for sinners, Jesus got up and walked out of his own grave. See, Jesus' death has put death to death, and Jesus' life has brought us life. We now live in him, and the resurrection is the beginning of that picture of what God is doing for us. Jesus' resurrection over the grave would embolden his followers even more. What could stop them now if even death was under Jesus' authority? So what we now know is the church, filled with Christ followers, led by the same Holy Spirit that led Jesus out of the grave, was spreading like wildfire, and this man named Paul was committed to stopping it. Paul himself now has encountered the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and he can deny Jesus no longer. And hear what happens next in Paul's story. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, he replied. I love Ananias. He's ready to go. Here I am, as soon as the Lord spoke to him. Get up. And go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. And that, here I am, Lord, Ananias responds. Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias, who is, here I am, Lord, has turned into, uh, I don't know if you're getting the local news since you've ascended into heaven, but there's a guy down here that's causing a lot of problems, and that's the guy you're sending me to talk to. But Jesus tells him to go. Listen to the very next line. (laughs) Ananias went. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, do you hear that belief in Jesus? He doesn't just call him Saul. He calls him Brother Saul, as though they are family in Christ. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Sounds very similar to the story of Eustace, doesn't it? The scales fell, he was cleaned in the water, and he was made new. And the story continues, doesn't end there. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the son of God. That's a radical transformation. 
All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? And later on, in verse 26, it says, When he arrived in Jerusalem, when Paul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. I don't know that we would believe either. It sounds like the, the worst uh, secret operation to send the guy who is wreaking havoc on a people to go inside with the people to do what? You, he used to send people to prison and have them killed, but now he's proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Something has happened to Paul to make him radically different. Paul wasn't just saved, he was transformed. He wasn't just healed from blindness. He had a new ability to see the world in light of Jesus' resurrection. Meeting the resurrected King Jesus didn't just wash away Paul's sins and get him out of hell. It changed everything for the way that he lived. Paul had a new identity and a new purpose for living. The rest of his life was spent building the thing that he had been tearing down for so many years. And he attributed this new way of life to having encountered Jesus Not Jesus in a tomb, but living, breathing Jesus. Paul committed himself to tell the world about this resurrected Savior. Paul was determined to talk about what mattered to him. And you know, for all people throughout all time, we talk about what matters to us. So pop culture, there's the like 57th Avengers movie that's coming out later this week. Last week, though, last week, the director sent out an open letter to all the fans that said, please, if you get to see the movie early, don't tell other people about the ending. We want them to experience it on their own. Why did they send that open letter out? Because they know that fan is short for fanatical, which means, by definition, that they are a person with an extreme enthusiasm or zeal. Now we've got Paul with better news than any movie that's ever been made, and no one is going to stop him from being fanatical about this message to bring life. In fact, the scriptures say that he's a disciple. So Paul is not just a fan of Jesus. He is a follower of Jesus. So he's going to walk wherever Jesus tells him to walk. People can't help but share the news that matters to them. What matters to you? What do you talk about with other people? Do you talk about CrossFit? Do you talk about your diet? Do you talk about your favorite college team? Does how Jesus changed your life ever naturally come up in conversation with other people? What are you zealous about? What are you hoping gives you life? Or maybe you've been searching through life and you've not experienced that feeling and you resonate more with Eustace who's constantly trying to do things to tear off that dragonish skin and experience the life that was meant for him. Maybe up to this point you've been searching in the wrong places and you haven't been able to experience real life. The reason Jesus died and rose was so that you can really live This is the ultimate message of Easter. 
as the good news of Jesus' empty tomb was spreading and churches filled with Christ followers were being formed, Paul was helping these young churches understand what it meant to live as a Christ follower. Paul knew that while some things were changed immediately, other things were going to be transformed over a lifetime. The goal of Christianity isn't what we call being saved, but rather being saved from slavery and sin and death is like the front door into our salvation. The ultimate goal of being saved is learning how to walk with God. God doesn't just want you to have heaven when you die. God doesn't just want you to be with him on Easter, Mother's Day, and Christmas. Yes, I added one. Most of your mamas want to be with you on Mother's Day in church services as well. God adores you so much, he wants to be with you in all of life. He doesn't want you to relegate it to religious activity and special events. He wants the moments as well. Because he's the creator of life. He's the author of living. He knows what's best for us. And he went to a bloody cross to secure it when we didn't deserve it. He conquered sin and death to win us back to life. One of the young churches that Paul is helping grow is in a town called Colossae. And this is where we get the book of Colossians. It's Paul's letter to the church to teach them how to walk with Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. Because many of them had trusted Christ, but they just went back to their old way of living. So listen to how Paul speaks to the Colossians in this letter. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So if you get a piece of mail, and I'm talking real mail. I'm not talking junk mail. I'm not talking bills. If you get a piece of mail, where do your eyes drift to first? Either the return address or the end of the letter if it's already been opened to see who this piece of mail came from. Because that matters to us as we read the rest of the story. Well, in these letters that Paul sent, he starts the letter with who it's from. And he says it's from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. Remember, people know who Paul is. So his letter is coming with this fresh authority. He continues, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. It's characteristic of Paul to open his letters with, with thanksgiving and gratitude. And he's not speaking platitudes. It's not empty chatter. He's speaking this out of the bottom of his heart because he is grateful for them. In fact, it would be to them like hearing from a father because Paul's ministry helped start their church. Now, if you've ever been around a new dad in a hospital right after his children are born, there is a unique ability to see past the flaws, the um, weird-shaped heads, the fact that all that babies, newborns, can really do is eat and poop and sleep. And yet new fathers look on a newborn 
and think this is precious. And that's how Paul sees this church in Colossae. He sees past their flaws because he sees their faith and he's telling them how precious they are to him. He continues, you learn this, the gospel, from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has told us about your love in the spirit. Epaphras was likely one of the first converts in Colossae. And because like we said before, any good news that you receive is too good to keep to yourself. He had shared it with his neighbors in his community. And they had become what we now know as the church. And Epaphras is one of the leaders of this church. And as Epaphras spoke to Paul, who was a part of his conversion story, Paul is saying, I know you. We're family. I know Epaphras, who's leading you. And after he greets them and thanks God for them, he gets into the heart of why he's writing to them. And it begins with a prayer. Paul tells them his prayer for them. This is what Paul says. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, that's of their conversion, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you hear how Paul prays for the church? He's learned from Epaphras that although this community is filled with people who have trusted Christ, their faith wasn't resulting in change. They had gone back to their old way of life. And Paul is praying for them to grow. They walked through the door of salvation, but then they stopped walking, and it was damaging to their relationship with God and with other people. Living things grow. They have new life in Jesus, but the church in Colossae wasn't growing. Why? For them, they were drawn back to Jewish mysticism. So Judaism was a religion, but Jewish mysticism was like superstitions and new rules mixed in to the Jewish religion. So that's how people were living. They had professed faith in Jesus Christ, but they lived their old way. Paul was teaching them their need to grow. You know, the, the church in Colossae is actually very similar to the church in the United States in fact, many would say that the church in the United States is a highly evangelized, poorly discipled nation. You hear that? A highly evangelized, poorly discipled nation. For years, we've heard that the gospel is, is relegated to a personal relationship with Jesus. And as long as you have that, you've got your fire insurance. But it hasn't affected divorce rates. It hasn't affected crime rates. It hasn't affected the way we live in everyday life. It hasn't affected our priorities. We say we've got what we've needed, and we've forgotten to live it out in the everyday stuff of life. We 
result back to superstitions or the American dream, thinking I'm saved by grace through faith, but if I just work hard enough, life should work out for me the way I intend for it to. Negating the fact that we live in a world affected by sin. For some of us, we self-medicate with sex or pornography or food or status. For some of us, we confess that we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ. And yet still we're the angry person at work. We haven't been changed. Or still we gossip and we slander when we talk about people outside of church environments. We are often a people who step through the door of salvation and stop walking. Just like the church in Colossae. Highly evangelized, poorly discipled. The Christian faith is rooted in a personal relationship with Jesus. But it doesn't end there. It affects the way we live in community. It affects our purpose, our mission in life. We are invited into God's family, the church. And we are invited to join God on his mission to make disciples throughout the nations. Everything Paul says that he's praying for this young church hinges on these four traits. Listen to them. They're in your Bible in Colossians chapter 1. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing up in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, and joyfully giving thanks to God the Father. Again, Paul sounds like a doting father praying for his young children to grow up into maturity. He recognizes that they're infants, but he wants to see them become children through growing in these traits, and then eventually young adults having responsibility, being others-focused. And eventually he wants to see this church in Colossae and us grow into becoming parents in the faith, making more disciples. He sounds like a father that's praying for his children to grow up into strong Christ followers. What do these characteristics mean? Very quickly, bearing fruit in every good work. Like the owner of a vineyard plants a vineyard and cares for his fields, expects a return of fruit. God expects fruit from every Christian. He's made an investment in you and wants to see a return on his investment. Christian fruit always results in increased love for God and radical love for other people. Secondly, growing in the knowledge of God. Obeying God by doing the things that God loves is the result of learning to love what God loves. Knowledge of God helps take more steps of faith. We get our knowledge of God from the word of God. So when we come together each week on Sunday mornings, we put our focus on the word of God. When our groups get together throughout the week, Christians meeting together, we interact with the word in order that we can learn to love what God loves. And in our day-to-day lives, we encourage people to spend some moments in the Bible because we want people to learn to love what God loves. Growing in the knowledge of God is Paul's prayer for us. Being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might. Paul doesn't just want his readers to have wisdom and discernment to do the right things. He's praying for God to give them all the power to do it. See, many of us know if we're a Christ follower that we should share our faith with people, but many of us fear that we don't have the power to do it. Many of us know that if we're following Christ, we should live lives of radical generosity, but many of us fear that we have the power to do it. Paul is praying for them that they will see God has not just called them to something, he's empowered them to achieve it with the same power that led him out of the grave. And lastly, he prays that they would joyfully give thanks to the Father. 
Author and pastor G.K. Chesterton said, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. Whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. Thanksgiving is more than a feeling. It's something that we can decide to do. You know, chronic complainers are never satisfied and always feel cheated in some way. Those are the same types of people uh, that are always disappointed with God because they believe they deserve something better. But people who have the discipline of thanksgiving learn to enjoy every breath that has been given by God because it is a gift. God wants to shape our whole lives. And those four major traits of the Christian life that Paul prays for have no end. There is always room to grow in those traits. You see, we never graduate from the gospel. We keep growing in the gospel. That's good news for us. We never get to this second tier of Christianity. We just mature and mature to the glory of God. And Paul prays that these wonderful things would fill the church in Colossae. Because Jesus' resurrection from the dead wasn't just for the purpose of saving us. It was so that we could be transformed into the image of God and more people would trust him and follow him and be conformed into his image. He wants us to learn that the greatest gift that he's offered us is learning to walk with God in the everyday stuff of life. In almost 17 years of being a Christ follower, I've learned that there's two types of Christians. There's milestone Christians and moment-to-moment Christians. Milestone Christians like Christmas and, and Easter, and sometimes they thank God in the highs, and they desperately search God in the lows. But then the moment-to-moment Christians are learning to see more of God in the everyday stuff of life, even in the most mundane steps Milestone Christians wonder where God is when things go wrong. Moment-to-moment Christians know God will never leave them or forsake them when things are going wrong. And you know what the the greatest thing about being a moment-to-moment Christian is? Is you get the milestones too. Are you a moment-to-moment Christian? Are you learning to see how every dimension of life is coming under the rule and reign of a gracious Savior who gives life. Back in the voyage of the Don Treader, our beloved Eustace recounts his impossible experience to his cousin Edmund. And when he says, what do you make of it? Edmund says, I think you've seen Aslan. And the chapter concludes, it would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that point on, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome, but most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. If you've met Jesus, there are things about you that are immediately different, and there are things that he wants to slowly transform over a lifetime as you learn to walk with him. You've shed your dragon skin like Eustace, and you have a new identity and a new purpose, and yet you're still being made into something new. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, you have a place to take your next step with Jesus along with the church. This There's nothing that you've done, there's nothing that's been done to you that is outside of God's reach of redemption. 
And I assure you, if you are still here, God is not finished with you. While Paul used to punish and imprison Christians, he's actually penning this letter from his own prison cell. He went from persecutor of the Christians to public enemy number one. Following Jesus doesn't mean life is going to get easier, but it absolutely means life is going to get better because with Jesus, it's the only way that we can experience true life. What does this story from the Bible mean for you? Are you like Paul before he met the resurrected Jesus? He opposed the gospel, that Jesus is the one way to true life. If that's you, your first step is to step away from the way that you have done life and step toward your Savior. That's called repentance. It begins with admitting that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If that's you, before you leave here today, tell me, tell the person you came with, I'm praying for you even in this moment that you would have the boldness to tell somebody because you've taken your first step in walking with God. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're the Colossian church that had stepped through the door of Christianity by trusting Christ, but you haven't learned to walk with God yet. So you've gone back to your old way of life. You profess Christ, but nothing's changed. Today, we're inviting you to take your next step in walking with God with us. Or maybe you're like the transformed Paul and his friend Epaphras, people who have devoted their lives to showing and telling how Jesus' resurrection changes everything for us. If that's you, as you continue walking through this life, I pray that you would be bold and keep inviting people to come follow you while you follow Jesus and walk together with people. If you are not a Christian, I am so glad that you're here today. You have been given a prime opportunity to see what the church is all about. Even though we celebrate a little bit extra on Easter Sunday, this is the reason we meet together every week. This is the reason we want to be transformed because of the resurrection. And you're getting a glimpse of that today. And my prayer for you is that you would keep walking with us for a season and learn what it means to trust and follow Jesus. But if you are already a Christian, I want to invite you to walk with us. The word church means gathering, which means you can't go it alone. Over the next six weeks, we're going to dive deep into this letter to the Colossians to see what it looks like for every dimension of our lives to be changed by the resurrected Jesus. What is your next step? Jesus walked out of a grave so that you could walk with him. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you accomplished on a cross what we never could have done on our own. And even while we deserved death because of our own sinful, dragonish hearts, you willfully gave your life in order that we could live. God, we thank you that our salvation came through your great pain, but we thank you even more that you didn't stay in the grave, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you got up and walked out 
God, would you give us the confidence to take our next step with you? In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. 